church family, Pastor Brandon here, lead Pastor Austin Oaks. Um, grateful to be with you this morning with great friend Seth. Um, this week, as I was preparing for this message, and, and usually what we do is on Tuesday, we get together as a staff and have a, a sermon prep time where I share with them what I believe the Lord is stirring out of my heart and on the passage and talk it through, and the staff brings their insights and things, and it just felt like there was something that the Lord wanted to do different in this passage. And so I want to explain to you how this this Sunday, or whatever day you watch this, which is always one of those unique things now in COVID season, can't say this morning or Sunday because we don't know when you're watching it. But nonetheless, this this time of worship together is going to be a little bit different. I want to just share with you the process of how we're going to do this. And so we're going to be kind of doing a lot of things that we see in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, where there's going to be a response time to God's Word. And so I want to spend some time teaching God's Word, and then we're going to give you some space to actually respond in that moment based upon what God's Word says and what He's doing in your heart. Some of it will be personal confession, um, corporate prayer together. A lot of times it might just even be just worship where you're singing and just meditating on what is stirring inside of your heart. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I'm really excited to have you listen into a powerful story within our church family as to what God is doing. And so, We are in this series called Untangled because we're looking at how do we live a life that is untangled, a life of freedom based upon the principles that God has given us and how we live above the fray, especially when life comes and difficulties come that make us feel like we get in a mess. What does God's word have to say in those situations? In the last three weeks, the Lord has been really doing a sweet thing in our hearts as we've been discovering certain principles that we are to apply and live out by faith so that we can live in an untangled lives. And so this morning, I want us to be wrestling with this question, is um, where is our confidence in the midst of a crisis? Where do we place our confidence? Where do we find confidence when things are tangled up, when things are a mess, when when you know maybe a crisis is on your doorstep, or maybe even when you're in the midst of it, in extreme difficulty, where does your confidence come from? Where are you placing it? Is it a who? Is it a whom? How do we not slip into despair? How do we not slip into hopelessness and frustration and even sometimes depression in those moments? And I wanna, I wanna challenge you, it's like one of the ways to know where you're placing your confidence is by listening and assessing the words that come out of your mouth first. That is important. Scripture is very clear on this, that the words we speak oftentimes are one of the best revealers of our heart. Jesus even taught us that what comes out of, like, out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's the same thing, even in verses, like what we listen to gets into our heart. And ultimately that takes shape and it, we say that, we speak those things. And for the believer, as we already heard a few weeks ago, that we should be rejoicing always. We should be giving thanks always. And so my challenge this morning, looking at God's word, is going to be, is praise your first response in a difficult circumstance? Is praise the first thing out of your mouth when crisis is looming or even in the midst of a crisis, when you're tangled up, when you're knotted up and everything's a mess? What first comes out of your mouth? And we're going to be looking at a story, um, this, this service, in Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to encourage you to turn there. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm just going to read the first two verses for now. After this, 
the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Engedi. Now, we can't like just casually read this. I mean, this is a moment of panic, okay? Chapter 17, 18, 19, Jehoshaphat is, is a guy that God is using to create great reform, time of peace, healthiness, and, re- and stability within a nation of Israel. All right, so now he gets word that there's three nations coming against them. And in fact, when it says that they are in Engedi, that is 15 miles away. History tells us back then that when you have three nations raging upon you, 15 miles away that are on your doorstep, the end result is not favorable. It either will result in death or slavery. Can you imagine that feeling? Like we can read and be like, oh, this is a great Bible story, but just put yourself in the shoes of Jehoshaphat for a moment. Mm. What would you be feeling? Like what would be the first words to be coming out of your mouth? Keep it PG, please. (laughs) Like seriously, think about this. This is like, like you're the king, you're the leader of Judah, you know you're responsible for all of the families and the kids and the children's and even the things of God, right? Like you feel that burden. This is sort of a valley of the shadow of death type of moment. This is like that 3 a.m. phone call that you're getting that you don't want to hear because you know it's bad news on the other end. These, these are the moments you're just like, I don't know what to do. Crisis is looming. Difficulty is looming. Things aren't going the way you thought they were. And now it's a moment of fear. It's a moment of panic. What would you do if you heard today some threatening news that will affect your future and maybe even your life? What words would come out? What would you be feeling? I don't know about you, but I was trying to do some personal assessment. And there's three things that came up inside of me that would be my natural reactions. And I'm willing to bet that if you're honest with yourself, there'd be similar reactions you would have. One, panic. Oh man, I would be panicking. Like I got, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like when COVID hit, like I, there was a moment of panic in me. What's going to happen to the church? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to get money? And da, da, da. Like I started going through all of these moments. And I started thinking about all of the strategies that I could muster up. And then I started to even panic about what does that mean for my family, my livelihood and my kids. And then even in the midst of the political arena, there's been moments of panic and fear. I'm just being candid with you. Right? Like our first reactions can very well be panic. I can imagine the temptation that Jehoshaphat would have felt like, generals, get here, come here, we got to get everything mobilized, da, 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 and get everything set. And then maybe just before you go and do anything, you're like, okay, guys, if we have enough time, maybe we should pray for a minute. Mm-hmm. Right? The other thing is, is like, I would potentially, again, I'm just being candid with you, I would potentially get angry at God. God, look at, I've done so many things for you. I've been serving in ministry for you. I've been faithful to you. I've been trying my best to, to live a life that's pleasing to you. Jehoshaphat could have easily done that because he was causing great reforms in Israel. He was God's man in light of other evil kings that were being disobedient and leading God's people into idolatry. And he's calling out idolatry and all these things. Like You can imagine, like God, why are you allowing this to happen? These are people that we were supposed to kick out of the promised land. Like Why aren't you stopping this? Like. I'll see if I'm ever going to be faithful to you again, God. Like, I could just feel those moments when those circumstances come. You just want to just shake your fist at God and have a little pity party. In fact, that's a lot of reason why a lot of people can't 
follow God is because they can't make sense of some of those things. If God is good, if God is loving, if God is this, why would these things happen? That's a natural response. The third thing, to be honest with you, that Jehoshaphat could have done and, and I'm tempted to do in moments of crisis is look at the resources around me and place my trust in that. He could have placed all of his trust in his army. In fact, we know in chapter 17 that he redeveloped military might. They could have been ready to go. He could have easily just said, okay, army, let's roll. He could have trusted on that. Even the Psalms say, like, don't put your trust in horses and chariots and in men, but put your trust in the Lord. Like, how many times in those moments of panic and crisis where we're all tangled up that we immediately try to place our confidence in the things around us? This is a crisis moment. And I know that you've probably been in crisis moments or you will be in a crisis moment. What were the words that came out of you? What would be the first words that come out? Let's look at Jehoshaphat and what he did. Because this is bad news. This is terrifying news. The next day, three armies are going to be on the doorstep. What would you do? Let's look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Stop. It's okay to be afraid. It's totally afraid, okay to be afraid. He was honest and transparent. In fact, God put it in his word forever for all people to see that this great, great leader was afraid. He was terrified. I mean, this is a man of God who loves the Lord. And when he got this news, he was afraid. Okay, like this was a leader of leaders. In fact, think about this. Kings in the, the ancient Near East at that time, they loved to tell, um, let's say, exaggerated stories about themselves. Because pride was a big deal. Honor was a big deal. They had an image to maintain, not just within their own people, but also against other nations. They wanted to make sure that you were a great king. Leaders had to be tough and decisive and inspire confidence in the people. So that way they weren't afraid and timid of the situation. I mean, what leaders go in front of their people and say, I'm terrified? Who does that? Imagine, um, I was going to say last night, today's Friday, when we're doing this, I watched the town halls. Imagine if Joe Biden or Donald Trump went up and said, I'm afraid. How would that inspire confidence? But folks, like, let's just take that out of the leadership realm for a moment. But how many times do we do that to ourselves where we downplay that? We're afraid to tell people that we're afraid because we want to be a little bit stronger than we really are, all that kind of stuff. We want to be like, listen, look at me. I, I, I'm strong. I can handle this. I can do this. That's pride. It's complete pride. I mean, here he is. He goes in front of his whole people and he tells them, basically, I'm afraid. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came too. Jehoshaphat knew that if God didn't respond, they were in serious trouble. Serious trouble. He was in great need. This was a moment of crisis that was beyond him. And so he openly and admittedly confessed to the people, I'm afraid. Church, please listen. Don't be too proud. Don't be too, fraud, uh, too proud to admit that you're needy, that you're afraid, that things are hard. Why do we let our, proud, our pride and self 
esteem and, uh, and sufficiency rob God of what he could do in our lives. Mm. I mean, how, how many times do we do this when people go, hey, how are you today? And we give the worst passive-aggressive answer, I'm great. Yeah. But Blessed. really, we're not. Yeah, the Lord is so good, but inside you're just like, that's really not the condition of my heart. Yeah. Like, there's, it's okay to be transparent. But what do we do with that? That's the question. Is where do we place our confidence in the midst of these crises? And so here's what he does. Here's a guy who sets his face to seek the Lord. He goes straight to the Lord. He doesn't panic. He doesn't get angry at God. He doesn't look to his military might. He immediately goes, oh my goodness, this is beyond me. I don't know what to do. And he sets his face to seek on the Lord. Now, I wanna share with you something that's awesome. The Hebrew word or the phrase that's wrapped around the word seek, it literally means this, to trample underfoot. So if you ever seen like a footpath on grass that's not actually a concrete sidewalk, but someone said, here's a shortcut and people have been walking that over time and it gets trampled down on their foot, it's because it's been walked on multiple times, it's a new path. That's the idea of this word seek. Jehoshaphat was a man who seeks the Lord. In other words, this was part of his normal life. He's done it so much that it was a normal path for him to take. That it was an instant thing. It was the first response at all moments. Prayer and praise were first response thanks to him. It wasn't a last resort. It was a natural response of his heart. And he comes and he seeks the face of the Lord. And then he prays. Let's look at his prayer. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived, have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold, I want you to notice, verses 5 through 9 has all been about God, who you are, what you've done, you've been faithful in what you've said, it's all reflecting first on him. He doesn't even get to the moment of asking any request or petition till later. This is why it's important to go, what comes out of you first in the moments of crisis? What were the first things that came out of Jehoshaphat's mouth in his prayer? Worship, praise. Oh God, are you not the God over all things? Are you not sovereign? Are you not in control? Are you not almighty? Specifically, even over these three nations, he's recognizing who God is. He's not asking God the question. This is not like, hey God, I'm, uh, you're on trial. Are you the God in heaven? Like, this is, again, it's a Hebrew rhetorical device. It's very poetic where he's strengthening himself in what he believes. He's rehearsing truths of God so that the people can hear it. And this is what it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord. In the moment of crisis, Jehoshaphat's first response was to seek the Lord's face, to strengthen himself in the Lord. Lord, this is who you are. You're faithful, you're good, you're sovereign, you're almighty. You see all. 
And did you not also do these things in the past? Have you not given us your word and your promise in these moments? God, here we are. Do you know what that models? It models the Lord's prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray this way. When you pray, say, and watch this, Father in heaven, you're, you're looking up. God, you are up there. You are in control. You are sovereign. You, you take care of us. You know our needs. You know our plight. Father in heaven, you are holy. There is none like you. Hallowed be your name. You are set apart. Your will be done. I'm calling upon you. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then in that prayer, guess what happens after you're praising God first, after you're aligning your heart and your eyes up to God, then you bring your requests. That's how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And that's why I say, what are the first words? I know we do this when we are in these moments of panic and these circumstances are dire and it's crisis our first words are usually complaints grumbling we bring our request to god and it's because the first things that come out of our mouth are highlighting how big our problems are not highlighting how big our god is when we highlight how big our problems are our faith shrivels and we don't really know if god will hear if god will respond but if we start out by praising him and reflecting and worshiping how big he is, that takes our problems and puts it in its right perspective, in its right place. So here's what I want us to do in this next moment. I want you to be honest with yourself. In whatever circumstance or crisis or situation that you fear is coming upon you, or even whatever circumstance or situation or crisis that you are presently in. Be honest with your emotions. If you're afraid, confess that you're afraid. Share that. If you're anxious, confess you're anxious. God already knows. But here's what I want you to do. is We're going to sing two songs, and I want this to be the time for you to seek the Lord. Bring those to Him. And if you need to confess that maybe you've placed your confidence in other things or maybe you're just panicking or maybe you're angry at God because of it or maybe you're trying to look at placing strength and trust in things around you, that you use this time to place your confidence in who He is. We're going to reflect on who He is and allow that to put your heart in the right place. Say and pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Can't stress enough how important it is 
to be authentic with your heart and how that should draw you first to seek the Lord's face. If that's not a normal practice for you, I want to encourage you to do that. Make that a normal thing for you. In all things, seek his face. In all things, strengthen yourself in him. And when you pray, you pray praise first. You worship him for who he is. You remember his faithfulness. You remember his purpose and his design. And then bring your requests to him. It just keeps our hearts in the right perspective. Verse 12 of this story shakes me. It grabs me and it will never let me go. Because it is such a posture of humility for a leader to come to a place of saying in front of his whole nation, we are powerless. I have no idea what to do. But my eyes are on you. Let me read this. O our God, Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's as if in this moment, Jehoshaphat has gotten himself to a place of surrender. Sort of like what Job would say, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. Even though my circumstances may change, God, my faith in you will not change because you do not change. God's ways are above our ways, so we don't always know how he's going to act. But we do know how he will always be. It doesn't change. No matter how he acts, we'll always be true to who he is. And that's why we can pray with praise in all things. And that's why it's so important to get to this spot of saying, Lord, We are powerless. Let's just be honest with ourselves, okay? When we look at our circumstances and situations in life, we are powerless. In of ourselves, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing that we can place our confidence in that will get us through these situations. We are powerless in this, God. And just to simply even confess, I don't know what to do, but I'm putting my eyes on you. I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting you. It reminds me of a passage in Isaiah 30 that says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. That's turning away from trusting in yourself, putting your confidence in yourself, putting your confidence or trust in other things. It's repentance and rest because of who he is. And it's in quietness and trust is your strength. That's this moment that Jehoshaphat is doing. We are powerless. I don't know what to do, but you do. And so my eyes are on you, God. Work. Friends, I want you to hear a story of a family in our church that is this example for us. Please listen to Chris and Heather Coy. In the morning, we were feeding ducks with our kids by a pond, and by that evening, we were being told that our middle son, Dylan, has leukemia. We spent that first 24 hours in a sea of fear and sadness, 
And I was lying on the floor of the hospital that first night next to Christopher. And I thought, we can't control the circumstances that we're in, but we can control how we're going to choose to respond to it. And if we're going to trust God with our son or be crippled by our fears for him. Heather and I had a serious conversation about what we wanted this journey to look like, not only for her and I, but for Dylan and his brothers as well. There was a lot initially that we didn't know about our situation. But before Dylan ever got sick, our faith has always been the foundation of this relationship and our marriage and, and our family. And uh, we had so many questions, uh, just as the verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12 states, we do not know what to do, uh, but our eyes are on you. And that's exactly what we did. We hold on to what we continue to know is true. And what we know is that God was never surprised by the news that Dylan has cancer. What we know is that we're already seeing so much fruit in our current season. And what we know is that even though we're facing a trial, it doesn't mean that God's not good and that we cannot still have joy. We have chosen to lean into God. We've chosen to banish anxiety and trust that God has Dylan and he has a plan for Dylan and for our family and that it will not be one marked by tragedy, but one marked by faith and joy and love. And Dylan has responded very well to treatment this summer and we're hopeful he lives a long and full life. much for praying for us and walking alongside our family. We feel so blessed that we were chosen to be Dylan's parents. So we're the Coy family. Uh, we encourage you uh, with whatever trial you're facing uh, to join us by casting away fear and fixing your eyes upon Jesus and choosing joy. God is good all the time. Amen. I trust that that was encouraging to you. I want us to continue on in uh, following the model that we see here in this passage and spend some time just confessing whatever uh, is before us that seems too daunting for us to handle. Let's just lay that at the Lord. And so we're going to follow the same pattern that Jehoshaphat was praying. God, I confess that I am powerless in the face of whatever it is that you're facing. Um, and I, uh, I think of... I am powerless, Lord, in saving people that I really, really love and don't know you. Um, I think of my sister who lives here and doesn't know Jesus. I, I'm powerless. I don't know what to do to help her see you. But I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Uh, for you, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe uh, it's a relationship burden. And you recognize that you're powerless. It's good to say, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And so let, let's just fill in the blank right there. In fact, like you can pause it and perhaps you can spend some time, if you feel comfortable, saying it out loud to the people around you. Or maybe it's beneficial for you to write it in the margin of your journal or your Bible. Like, God, I confess that I am powerless in the face of this, this trial this circumstance write it down look at it and then say I don't know what to do but today I'm setting my eyes on you 
take some time right now. Let's, let's, let's spend time confessing that to the Lord. Make it a prayer unto Him. God, I confess that I am powerless in the face of this thing. I don't know what to do. But today, I'm setting my eyes on you. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord. I love this part. They stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen. All Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, and behold, they will camp up by the ascent of Siz. You will find them at the valley, at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. This is a beautiful pattern for us. How do we live an untangled life in the midst of a crisis, circumstance, difficulties? They prayed. He was afraid. He went to the Lord. He sought the Lord, which was his normal thing to do in those moments. And he rehearsed who God is and who God was, uh, who God is and what God has done and what he's promised to do. He's made his requests and his petitions plain to God after worship. And then he just surrendered. And being authentic. Um, we are powerless. I am powerless. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And he was waiting on the Lord, trusting on the Lord. And the Lord was faithful, and the Lord spoke through a prophet. In a lot of ways, we can think about, like even in the New Testament, it's like we have God's word. We have his promises. We know what God has said. God speaks into this situation. And multiple times, you see this, right? You heard it. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not be dismayed. Over and over and over. God heard, God respond. Don't worry about this mass horde, this enemy, this obstacle, this crisis, this circumstance. The battle is not yours. It's God's. It's his. Well, Brandon, that's great. That's Jehoshaphat. I'm not a great man of God like that. We don't have specific promises that are telling me about this great horde or whatever's happening. No, we don't. But we have principles and promises in the scripture that are very clear that we've been rehearsing that we already know that the battle is not ours. That we can still rest. We can still find our peace that transcends all understanding. Right? We even talked about a few weeks ago that the Holy Spirit in our weakness intercedes and that God has promised to turn all things out for the good. That's victory. That's, that's, That's conquering. Even if things don't turn out the way we want, we still know Jesus wins. We still know that God's going to turn it for good. Maybe here, but definitely later. 
We have promises like Jesus said, or exhortations that Jesus said, like John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have crisis. In this world, you're going to have difficulties. But you take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. In other words, the battle is not yours. It's mine. John 14. Jesus again tells his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And later on in chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. God's presence will be with you. But you got to understand, there's still something that they needed to do. Just like us, that when God gives us his word, we still have to respond. We still got to operate faith. And that's why the prophet, through God's inspiration, told them, you will need to go down. You will still need to go out there. You will need to see them tomorrow. Go out, go to the front lines. But remember, you don't need to fight. Just go out there, rest in me, believe in me, live out what you just praised me for. If you can't live out what you just praised me for, we have to ask some serious questions about our faith. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation that I will work on your behalf. That applies for us. And that's why I'm challenging us. What are the first words that come out of our mouth? They ought to be words of praise. Mm -hmm. Ought to be words of praise because we know we're victorious in Jesus. We know that he's overcome the world. And we know that the spirit prays in our weakness. And we know that whatever circumstances, situation we face, he's going to work it out for our good. We know that. So stand firm. Hold that position. And see God work things out. The Lord will be with you. That is the greatest promise we have. And that's why Christmas is my favorite season. It's not because I get gifts. I love gifts. If you want to give me gifts, please, I will gladly receive them. But I love Christmas because it reminds me of God's name, Emmanuel. God with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that was a powerful promise that he told Jehoshaphat and the people. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. In the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of your crisis, the Lord is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And that's why we can always praise Him. When Jehoshaphat got the bad news that a crisis was looming, he praised God. When Jehoshaphat got the word response from God, the promises from God and what God was going to do, he praised God because we see that in verse 18 and 19. He bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the heavens in Jerusalem, they did that. They were worshiping the Lord. They were praising God before the battle. This is tomorrow. It's supposed to happen. But when they heard it, they said, I'm going to hold my position. I'm going to praise him right now. God is victorious right now, even though it hasn't happened yet. God is outside of time. We're in time. Totally different ballgame. We can praise him in the midst of. We can praise him even before because he's faithful. He's above all. He's over all. He's almighty. He's promised good things. He will never leave us or forsake us so we can praise him. That has to be the first thing that comes out of our hearts. So now get this. Verse 20. 
from a worldly point of view, I am about to tell you probably the second worst military strategy ever. The first was Jericho, Joshua and Israel walking around the walls blowing horns. That was one, but here's, here's another one. World perspective, okay? And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. They did what God did, told them to do. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Here is the leader who is afraid. And then he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now he's standing firm saying, Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets. Believe in God's word, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, look at this. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in the holy attire. In other words, the worship leaders, the choir of Israel. And as they went before the army to say, they were singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when, look at this, and when they were praising and worshiping God, and when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against these three nations. And they were routed. It's a horrible military strategy from an outside perspective, but from God's perspective, hear me, praise and worship is one of the most potent weapons in our arsenal because it forces our hearts and our eyes to look to him. It removes confidence. It humbles us. That's what praise does. It puts us in our position of dependence and it exalts him. It reminds us of who he is. It strengthens us on the inside. We're told in scriptures that even God inhabits the praises of his people. That we are to always be speaking a word of praise. We see the same pattern in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and Silas in prison. Beaten, battered, accused, they're in prison. Terrible situation. Talk about a crisis. From an outside perspective, the only result is probably an execution. And I'm sure they brought the petition, but you see it in their prayers. They're worshiping God. They're praising Him for who He is. And guess what happens? In the midst of their praise, God responds and frees them from jail. We can take that same idea and understand that praise does something and worship does something in our hearts. It does something that is so important. And, and friends, listen, I know probably 70% of the time, you don't feel like praising God. Let's just be honest. But Hebrews 13 tells us that we are still to bring a sacrifice of praise. Even if we don't want to, we bring the sacrifice because God doesn't change. Our circumstances change. Our feelings betray us. But God is still God and God is still true and God is still good and faithful towards us. So we bring a sacrifice of praise. We praise him first. That has to be the first thing that comes out of our mouth. Listen, friends, never let your feelings be the judge over your faith. Don't let your feelings dictate your faith, but let your faith be the judge over your feelings. Let your faith judge and dictate to your feelings. You can praise him in all things. So one of the best things that we can do to untangle our lives is to praise him, to praise him with everything we got, to shout his name, to sing our hearts out, to worship him, to believe in his word. Because when we sing that way, 
we're exalting him, we're placing him there, and we're putting ourselves in the right position. And when we praise and worship like this, it really does push the enemy back because that's what faith does. It leaves no room in our hearts, in our lives, for complaining, for bickering, for bitterness, negativity. Praise invites his presence. And, it, and, when, and we see this in scriptures that when God's people begin to praise, you see God moving. We don't praise God for his benefit. We do it for our benefit. He's not insecure and going, I, I need you to tell me how good I am again. Please, please, please. No, no, no. We praise him because we're insecure. Because we need to find our security in him. So this is how we want to end. Hopefully you've been on this journey of going, man, circumstances, situations cause fear. I want to be authentic with what I feel. And go seek the Lord and look to him and rehearse who he is. And then bring your petitions to him. Stand in the place of surrender. God, if it's your will, it's your will. I know you can. I submit to you regardless because I know you are going to work all things out for the good. And stand on his word and praise him. Go out to the front lines and praise him. Let God do the thing. You stand firm. You don't need to fight these battles. The Lord will fight. You just go to the front line in faith. So church, as we conclude this time, I want to encourage you to stir up your heart and just praise the Lord. And I know being at home or in your car, these moments are hard to sing along, but I want to encourage you, embrace the awkwardness and do it. Make it a declaration of faith now. It's a declaration of faith. Praise Him.